you know, I think we've been saying it this whole time. I mean, we don't care what you guys say. We don't listen to you guys outside of this locker room. Uh, we're just focused on ourselves and uh, this group in here. Like I said, just don't focus on uh, outside noise. Don't focus on really anything on social media like I've been preaching all year long. And um, don't listen to what you guys are saying. All right, hello to everybody but Mitch Marner because he's not listening. Uh, it's a fan drive time. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet 360. I'm Ben Ennis alongside Justin Cuthbert from the uh, Fan Morning Show. How's it going, Justin? Pretty good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Double duty today. Yeah. It's like the first time I've been here at this hour, and it's yeah. not that different, actually. <laughs> I thought it'd be swarming with people, but it's it's not overly different. No, no, no. We haven't had the, the full return of human beings since uh, since the pandemic. But, yeah, it, it must be nice for you to, like, go to work during the daylight hours. Uh, I'm sure you're 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 pumping in some coffees, uh, mm-hmm. feeling good about yourself. Uh, how do you feel about the Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending situation? Because uh, with the season on the line, a potential four-game sweep at the hands of the Florida Panthers, who finished 19 points behind them during the regular season, the Maple Leafs, because Ilya Samsonov has an upper body injury, are going with Joseph Wall mm-hmm. for Game Four tomorrow. Matt Murray, he's healthy, he's good to go. He's going to be on the bench. He's going to be the backup. He has two Stanley Cup rings to his credit. But when asked uh, whether he gave any consideration to Matt Murray starting Game Four, Sheldon Keefe simply replied, "No." <laughs> and not just that; it like affected his next answer. Yeah. Like he could not, he could not pay attention to the next question because it was it was so uh, rattling. I suppose. Yeah, there's definitely layers to this. Like it's a massive, massive indictment, I guess, on the process of Kyle Dubis optically that the guy he went out and you know traded for and mm-hmm. had to actually receive a pick for, and he's going to be on the books for next season is not even an option in the mind of Sheldon Keefe. But I mean. He's not played in a long time, clearly. So that's yeah. you definitely don't want to rush him out there. But if you're looking at the positive, uh, the positive spin on it is that Joseph Wall's been one of the real great stories about this team. I guess in in like the recent headlines that we've had to deal with. Yeah, in not, that, not too many positive ones, but yeah, he yeah, has been not, good. Not too many positive, but he is the positive. And I think if this is a guy who's real, and I guess at every turn he's proven he's real enough, uh, he probably gives you the best chance tomorrow night. And you know, this is a guy you're going to build on. And I, I don't know if you want to put the whole stink of, yeah, we might get swept here and it doesn't look good. It's like the worst moment in the history or recent history of this franchise, potentially. And I guess that could affect things. But I do think it gives you the best chance to win. And there's not really another option with Samsonov out. No, it's true. I mean, he is one injury away from Matt Murray is from getting into a, a playoff game. Um, and yeah, th- this was a guy that I'm sure when he was acquired from the Ottawa Senators, Kyle Dubas thought. And even, you know, going into the playoffs, there was you look at Matt Murray's two Stanley Cups. Like he didn't start every game of the postseason for the Penguins either, right? Like he was in and out of the lineup because of injury and yeah, Marc-Andre Fleury getting hurt and yada, 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 yada. So there was always, I, I don't know, in the back of my mind, a thought that we might see him in the postseason. It was just, and you're right, like in in taking everything into account, it is an obvious move. And if we want to kill Kyle Dubas for the Matt Murray acquisition, which we should maybe fairly, um, the Ely Samsonov one proved to be pretty good. And man, the Joseph Wall extension, a guy who's on the mm-hmm. books for two more years at what, 700 grand-ish, a guy that could be the starter for this team Going forward, I wonder if that plays into it at all. Also, Justin, the fact that this is a, a a team, a franchise that has some uncertainty in goal going into next season, and not that you're ever like going to punt even down three games to none to the Florida Panthers. But I wonder if there's anything to hey, 
We have a decision to make on a restricted free agent in Ilya Samsonov who does have arbitration rights. And and sure, would you like to bring him back on a one-year deal and probably find a suitor for for Matt Murray's whatever, four million bucks, whatever he's owed next season. But <laughs> the idea it might be one in one A between Joseph Wall and Ilya Samsonov next season might not be out of the realm of possibility. Good way to get get his feet wet. Yeah, you're right. Another layer to this story is next season for sure. And I'm wondering if best practices moving forward, if I mean if you're gonna optimize this team, if you're gonna get the best out of well, who knows what's going to happen to the core four, but let's say they're all back. Let's say it is a lot like this year, next year, and you're finding ways to actually open up some meaningful uh, salary cap space while going from what? The 7 million-ish that they spent on goaltenders this year, and previously it's been a lot as well. If you go down to a $700,000 starter, well, that opens up some financial flexibility, and that could be important. I still think trying to extend this partnership with Ilya Samsonov is important, but He's not going to break the bank, I don't think, based on this season, based on what we've seen, based on his inability to be available right now. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't know if you're going to be lining up to sign him to that mega extension, and you might kick that can down no, the road a honestly, bit. I, I'm not totally well-versed in how the, the arbitration process mm-hmm. process works, but you have to offer a guy at least a 10% rage, uh, raise to, uh, to, to qualify them with a qualifying offer, which is obviously something the Maple Leafs would do. But the idea of, of going beyond that with Ilya Sam- I mean, maybe you can get him under a, a, a contract that's, uh, you know, amenable for both parties and you doesn't can, cripple you financially. But you the can, idea of bringing him back for one year on like a, you know, a, a qualifying offer or he goes hmm. to arbitration for one year, that sounds good. Yeah, you can keep the price down for sure. And you can price, keep the price down on your goaltending and you can move forward in a, with a tandem you probably feel reasonably comfortable with uh next season and actually build around that and again we're like we are marching it's a death march towards july 1 right now at Mm -hmm. least it feels that way and there's going to be changes in who's putting together this roster who knows but joseph wall is one of is emerging as a pillar we'll put it that yeah in that he makes so little yeah and he's actually uh you know he's the number one option right now and you actually feel good about putting him out there and i think that the pros the the potential of him being a meaningful contributor to for you next season yeah the thing is like he's he's looked the part the numbers wouldn't at least in the limited sample we have of him in the postseason and man yeah According to Mitch Marner, he's faced a couple of B-ways. Uh, breakaways, like yeah. right out of the shoot, both times that he's entered the game, he's he's, he's faced breakaways and, and been unable to stop them. But the save percentage, yeah, is well under 900. But it, it goes beyond the numbers, I think. Well, there is a numbers component to it because in the AHL, he was just basically unstoppable. And in the more extended time that we saw him during the regular season, looked the part 100%. Very but yeah, favorable numbers there too. Yeah, but thrown into some pretty rough, circumstances like totally cold in in the postseason in some pretty high pressure games he hasn't looked out of place at all well i think we can go process over results on joseph wall i don't think we can do that for the rest of the yeah. team at the moment but people right on now, twitter got wall. mad at me because i did some expected goal stuff for did mitch you? martin and, and austin matthews yeah it's not the time for the the fancy stuff it doesn't feel like it's just it's about results damn it. it is definitely about results uh at the moment and i think the results definitely for the regular season and at least what we've seen so far i mean it, you're not we're not getting so far ahead of ourselves mm-hmm. but we know he's going to be an impact guy next year to whatever degree he's going to be yeah whether it's the backup a guy who shares the starters role or the guy who's a real low cost number one option that you can at least start with and see where you go mm-hmm. so i mentioned the the little twitter uh brouhaha i got into not really a brouhaha i just sent out some stuff and i got some real interesting replies okay. um and, and i understand why 
because yeah, we we talked about results, results, results after the six games against the Tampa Bay Lightning that the Maple Leafs did not control the majority of certainly five on five ice time against, but they won in six games, and that's all that mattered, right? And it it doesn't matter if if you have the line share of expected goals for percentage, whatever. You you won in six games. Um, and it doesn't matter that the Maple Leafs looked pretty good through two games and got uh, Sergei Bobrovsky a little bit, especially in game two. doesn't matter. They lost the games. And you know what? I was sitting next to you in game two after, mm-hmm. you know, a first period. And I did mention to you, hey, getting out of the, the first period, only scoring two goals, like the Panthers had to feel pretty good about that. Turns out, uh, yeah, they did. Because immediately upon uh, the resumption of play, the second period, they scored, what, 90 seconds apart. But I threw it out on Twitter today that, because if we're going to do the blame game of the core four, who've all, hey, none of them have produced through the first three games of the series. All four of them held completely goalless. And if we are going to look for our pound of flesh at the end of this of this postseason, and especially if it ends tomorrow or, you know, in a gentleman's sweep on Friday in five games, and you're looking to assign blame to one of the core four guys, well, Austin Matthews, according to the numbers, is producing opportunities like almost nobody else in the Stanley Cup playoffs right now, like more than Leon Dreisaitl, more than Connor McDavid, more than does Matthew it, does Kachuk. Does it feel like that, though? Does no, it, it doesn't. Feel like it, that? On, it doesn't. He had some moments. He he was he had two goals in it that keyed the three-goal comeback against the Lightning in Game 4, which was like his signature moment of the postseason. Mm-hmm. Mitch Marner, though, was like 45th among uh, postseason skaters in individual ex- expected goals for so like my, my question to you is uh, can we do this can we uh, and it's there's potentially you know three more uh, four more games to go in this series and boy wouldn't that be uh something if the maple Leafs even got it to four games but at this point like if you're gonna point to one of the core four guys is it not mitch marner yeah i think it is mitch marner um but like it's all it, you can do the relative to cost thing you could mm-hmm. you could go down that road you could do the fancy stats thing you could go down that road but I think if you just like really, really dumb it down and you look at what you saw in the regular season and yep. you looked at impact and you looked at the guy who was changing games in charge of, the, of games, really having authority over everything that was going on for the most part. And certainly after that really, really difficult start to the season kind of took control of this team, was the motor, was the engine, was the person that everyone seemed to follow down into the foxhole, it was Mitch Marner. Mitch Marner was the Leafs' best player during the regular season. 100%. And we debated this kind of all year. Was it yeah. hand, Was it 1A, 1B, Marner, Nylander? It felt like that at times, but Marner just did it for longer and more consistently once we got to the end of the road. And this year, or in the playoffs rather, it is periphery. It is low impact. There might be opportunities where, yeah, he's put himself in a good spot. There might be opportunities where he's put teammates in good spots. He's had moments, of course. He scored goals against the Tampa Bay Lightning. He did things he didn't do in previous postseasons. But it's not the Mitch Marner who was in complete control of games throughout regular seasons. And again, I I do think the underlying data is about sample size. And if you you look too hard at these numbers through eight, nine games, you're going to be misled. Yeah, and, I, watch and it the games in context. And you see a guy that's turning the puck over in his own zone who doesn't and, and, look like and, the same guy we saw for 82 games during the regular season. And that might be my season. biggest beef right now with what we've seen, at least from underlying data. Mitch Marner, every time he touched the puck in game three, yeah. it resulted in a giveaway. Yeah. I went to one of the sites that I'm very, very, that I've relied on heavily throughout my career, and he had one total giveaway. And all he did in the game 
was give the puck away. Yeah. So I, I think we'd have to take some of these things with a little bit of a grain of salt, but you can see the difference between regular season Mitch and playoff Mitch. We've seen playoff Mitch before. We saw the most recent version of regular season Mitch, and it is different. He mm-hmm. toggles between or back and forth between an effective player immensely in the regular season and someone you're dying to get more from in the postseason. I don't think everyone else is like absolved of criticism. No. I think John Tavares at $11 million may be something you just can't win with. No, and you know what? It, but it, his The conversation about John Tavares is almost separate because, hey, you you do the signing 100 times out of 100. It was like a, it was Christmas Day for Leaf fans. Of course. And, and he, his contract is obviously onerous right now. It's unmovable. He has no trade clause unless he decides, yeah, as the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. Who send, took less to come yeah. home and move uh, in. Hell no. Know, like, it's, it's not happening. Yeah. No, and it's kind of a reality that I guess we gloss over a little bit, mm-hmm. but it is a reality that mm-hmm. what's the difference between playoff hockey and regular season hockey? Faster and more physical. Mm-hmm. When things get faster and more physical, John Tavares has less of an impact. Mm-hmm. He can play half-court offense, power plays. When you get it down low and you can cycle, he's an effective guy. But when it's faster, he's less of a factor. And when it's physical, well, he just doesn't play that game. Mm-hmm. So playoff hockey... The difference is not suited to John Tavares, and we see it over and over and over again when the Leafs are in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of projecting ahead here to, like, what the actual post-mortem is going to look like. I know we've been doing, like, our practice post- post-mortem we, starting. We've a lot of practice <laughs> on the morning show. Yeah, for the last two days. I get it. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to go back to that launch clip that we played, like, off the top of the show, right? It's, it's not something that's brand new that we, we've heard from Mitch Marner, and I do understand. Listen. I, I get it. Well, I, if I was a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs in this market, had that pressure hanging over me, I wouldn't. I, didn't, I wouldn't have Twitter. I'd be nowhere. N- it's different. I'm a different generation than Mitch Marner slightly, and I guess the the impetus to to be on it um, because all your friends are on it. It's like a means of communication. It's different. Right. So I get it. I I wouldn't pay attention to it either. I wouldn't pay attention to the media. But that 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 is a, a topic of conversation surrounding him. Like it just. And I, I I watched the Oilers game last night, and I heard Jay Woodcroft at the end of the game talk about, hey, not good enough, like taking some level of accountability, not not throwing anybody under the bus. But again, we're at this spot with that guy in particular that we've heard at the at the conclusion of some postseasons previous, where I don't know, I I, I just don't know if the if the right message is getting through to Mitch Marner after what could be another postseason defeat. It's so easy to see through because we all understand honesty and dishonesty, right? Like, well, what have we seen from the Oilers? You mentioned Jay Woodcroft just, like, telling it as it is. Yeah. Leon Dreisaitl scores four goals, tells it like it is still. Yeah. And yet, with the Maple Leafs, I feel like we never actually get truths when the media is involved. And I don't know if that's something that's, you know, blanket organizationally, if that's, like, their MO, Mm. if that's their way to cope with things. I'm not really sure. We also see, when we do see rare moments of honesty... We see apologies the next day. And, <laughs> I brought this like, up yesterday. Yeah, the, the Sheldon Keefe yeah. against the Coyotes thing, talking about, hey, our best players weren't as good as their and, best players. And that's players. why I'm kind of fascinated with game four and the possibility of being swept. Yeah. Because Sheldon Keefe, if, if he's ever honest, yeah. it's after a tough loss. Yeah. And then it's a different guy the next day. But Sheldon Keefe, knowing maybe this is the end, Dude. when it all comes crashing down, oh, I'd let it when he's got out. a moment in front of the mic, yeah. and maybe he doesn't even need the truth serum. Like, yeah. I think it could be really, really fascinating. I'm with you. 
hundred percent. Who knows if we'll ever see it? Yeah, who knows? And yeah, I, I guess the, he would still be holding out hope that he could retain his job after you know, yeah, uh, handing the city its <laughs> I, first I would, series I victory. I wouldn't tell him like between the time he gets to the podium <laughs> that he's done because that could be a mistake. Yeah, it absolutely could be. Uh, also today, D Pair is shaken up uh, quite a little bit. So. Um, Jake McCabe and TJ Brody, that was a, a pairing that, that looked good on paper and looked good at times during the regular season. Man, just it, during the postseason, it, it really it hasn't worked at all. When they've been on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, they've been outscored 6-2. to two. So they have been separated, and it is Jake McCabe skating alongside Timothy Lilligren, TJ Brody paired up with Justin Hall. So... um that means Mark Giordano is kind of the odd man out. Now, he apparently he's going to skate as they're, they're going to do a 11 and 7 again tomorrow. Is that confirmed? I, I, everything I've seen is yeah. that he's likely going to be the seventh defenseman. And and I know Hall's been out of the lineup and uh, Gio's played all the postseason games. But yeah, he's been on the ice for the most five on five goals against this postseason. He's clearly part of the problem. Everything's telling you to scratch Mark Giordano and the actions when you have seven is that, okay, he's clearly the seventh and yet there's still this uh, uh, allergy to actually uh, scratching him. And again, we'll see what happens. They, they skated with four uh, full lines and he was on the fourth pairing. Um, But, you know, looking at McCabe and Lillian as I guess your new third pairing, Mm -hmm. they played the last two games of the regular season together and they have seen zero overlap together, essentially, Mm -hmm. since the playoffs started. And a lot of that has been, you know, Lilligren's not been one of the options. But it is interesting that it's something they definitely wanted to see and abandoned very quickly, never went back to. But it is something that has at least some precedent, given that they played together in games 81 and 82. The Hall-Brody pairing, I mean, that is just designed to absorb, right? Like, what are you expecting other than just, like, hold on for dear life when those two are out there? (laughs) That's exactly, I guess, what they're going for there. Again, like, they have all these capable guys. You run 9-10 deep, and it. the question was right before the deadline, because they did their work before the deadline, is there another room? Is there room for one more here? One more acquisition? One more thing that makes sense? Because do we really see how the pieces all fall in place? Mm -hmm. And I think that question still lingers. Like, it doesn't seem like this is ever kind of coalesce the way i don't even know if they knew it was going to coalesce and it was just like hey we're just going to find out what we have here because they experimented well, throughout the rest of the regular well, and season that was what it never came together and, and that's what like luke shen probably like i think i wasn't alone in thinking that he was going to be the seventh defenseman he was going to be maybe that guy. was the curveball yeah you know? and and all of a sudden like that's a you yeah the riley shen pairing has been untouched like that is still the the, the top pairing uh going into tomorrow's game four but yeah it's um, but f- been it's been forced into action too much, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've seen a little bit too much of Luke Shen, and it kind of was pretty obvious mm-hmm. that Luke Shen maybe hit his limit in terms of time on ice and roll. But that's just you know the reality of the situation they're in when nothing else is working, and Riley and Shen is the only pair going. Mm-hmm. It, you're gonna force them to overextend, and I think that's what we saw a little bit in Game Three. Well, and I can talk all about you know being on the ice for the most goals against uh, in the postseason for Mark Giordano. This team needs to score a goal. Like more than two would be nice. Five consecutive games in which they've scored exactly two goals, and mm-hmm. one of those games, the second goal came in overtime. It was Game Six against the Lightning. Uh, need to find a way to find some offense. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Frank Saravelli of dailyfaceoff.com coming up uh, in a couple of minutes. But uh, Blue Jays start a two-game series in Philly tonight. Uh, that's why this show is only a, an hour and a half um, because first pitch coming after 6.30 on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan. So 
The Phillies off to a, a pretty brutal start. They're 16 and 19 this season, but they were only 17 and 18 at this point last season. They went on to eventually make the playoffs and make a World Series, a, a, a World Series in which they lost. But uh, no, it was it was a, a team with with high upside and and Bryce Harper's back. Uh, Blue Jays are 21 and 14, Justin, which seems good. I'll tell you how good it is. It's the fourth best start in the history of the franchise, a, a franchise that's notably won a couple of World Series in the early 90s. Does it feel as good as 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 that would indicate? Probably not. And yet, like, they're kind of where they belong in second, you know, chasing in the ALEs, or at least a familiar position uh, that they seem to always be in, which is a bit of a chase mode. But uh, when I'm looking at the team, I think it's like a really really solid slate to build on if that makes any sense like last year you know approaching the deadline it's like wow the shopping list is pretty extensive right like everything that you could possibly need yeah they could use a little bit of that like they had to do the full shop the cart is full it's overflowing you're spending a lot of money at the grocery store but now it just seems like hey there's you know everything's kind of working the rotation has kind of figured itself out in that there's been some bounce back uh the bottom of the order looks really really positive and the bullpen has some great pieces, and I always feel like it, it really needs more. But you can kind of figure out exactly what you need. You can maybe pick and choose. You can, you can pursue some real luxuries. Mm-hmm. And not that we should be talking about what they're going to do before the trade deadline now, but I just feel like they've kind of spread everything across really, really well. And when you have that sort of situation manifest itself, it's like, yeah, the bottom of the order can, in pockets, lift you up, lift you mm-hmm. to a victory. The fourth and fifth starters can cover up when Kevin Gosman and Alec Manoa have bad starts in Boston. So there's like an equalizing effect, I think, that's happening with this roster right now. And that's kind of in contrast to what we've seen previously, where it's like, okay, if those guys don't get it done, then, you know, we're bracing for impact Mm -hmm. when the next starter's up or you're reaching the depths of the lineup. I think this team has optimized itself both for... Uh, you know, in practice, and that's really what they went out to achieve, but also putting them in a position to kind of strike here. And this team can improve dramatically. And that's a good thing when you've had one of your best starts in in uh, franchise history. Yeah, and they, they've had a, a a tough schedule to start the season, say for a couple of series against the, the Royals and the, the Tigers. Um, but it doesn't get much easier because, well, they play in the toughest division in baseball. So, and despite the fact that it's a balanced schedule, you still play the Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Orioles more than uh, anybody else. Uh, Blue Jays have the fourth toughest strength of schedule remaining, but the Rays are third, and the Orioles have the toughest remaining <laughs> schedule. I, I think going there's a forward. common theme there. Right? Yeah, no, that's it. It's it's uh, it's all the uh, division. We get Alec Manoa against uh, Aaron Nola tonight, and uh, yeah, you mentioned. Manoa's last start um, didn't go so well. I mean, he took the comebacker in Boston off his leg and stayed in the game. Like, he looked like he was cruising up until that point. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll see if there's a bounce back for him today. Some some numbers sent to us by Chris Black, uh, Blue Jays central producer, about how ineffective his slider has been this season, and it's shockingly so uh, for a guy that has dominated with that pitch. We'll see if uh, if uh, the, the good version of the slider comes out tonight. And... Uh, George Springer not in the lineup today. Despite the, the day off yesterday and the Blue Jays just a two-game series and they have a, an off day on Thursday as well, Justin. I mentioned this yesterday that um, not only the Blue Jays had this tremendous start as far as a record is concerned, they've had a, the best start in baseball when it comes to health. Mm-hmm. They've, they've lost the fewest man games due to injury in Major League Baseball. And yeah, that makes sense. They haven't lost a starting pitcher despite all the comebackers that have hit Blue Jays pitchers, including Alec Manoa. Nobody has been forced to to 
to hit the IL out of the rotation. They have the rhomboid of Adam Simber, who's on the IL. And uh, yeah, yeah, they they just had a Zach Pop injury, but that's does, it, man. Does Ryu count? Can you put yeah. Rio in there just Ryu's, to use the number? Ryu's he, he in there. Okay. Ryu is in there as far as IL time. Um, but outside of him, it's it's not a whole heck of a lot going on. And I, I mean, it 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 brings me to this: that George Springer is not in the lineup again today. Like, there's a day off yesterday. There's a guy that you know he scuffled a little bit out of the gates, but seemed to be turning it around in Pittsburgh. And there's a day off on Thursday. But a guy who, if you were looking at one guy in the lineup who was an injury risk. It's the guy that's been injured for a significant portion of his tenure as a Toronto Blue Jay. And here they are managing him again, even in a short little series against the Phillies. And part of it is also Brandon Belt is, is going good. And you, you want to keep him in there as, as the DH. And there's no DH days. By the way, Vlad is back in there with his wrist mm-hmm. thing. Again, avoiding an IL stint for a guy that could have you could have easily seen requiring some time on the injured list. Like this is... This team is going to keep doing what it's done to maintain being the healthiest team in baseball, and that means sometimes the you know George Springer is only going to start five days a week. Yeah, I think management will only take you so far. Like if you run into something legit, it's legit, and uh, unfortunately, the things have been man, you know, have been you can manage them so far uh, with Springer and Vladdy here recently. But I think that's like part of their success to start here, taking care or taking advantage of advantageous positions given mm-hmm. that they've had a bit of a weaker schedule they've had winnable series they go into pittsburgh and they win all three i mean if save from the boston series they've kind of taken advantage of every situation and the advantageous situations presented to them and that's winning games when you are healthy because you yeah. are going to run into some issues so uh, i i think you know it's it's obviously important to win games it's important to get off to a good start but make, making sure that you make hay when you have the opportunity to is always something uh, that's important for any sports franchise. But when it is the long slog regular season that baseball is, yeah, getting yourself off to a, a, you know, a strong start. You're healthy and you, playing good and you're playing a, a team that might be good but not playing all that well right now. Winning mm-hmm. a two-game series against them would be uh, part of that. Because you're going to meet adversity and it's harder when, you, when things are not going well and that adversity pops up. So it, yeah, and, and another example or another opportunity for them to just kind of massage the certain situations and keep this thing going forward and going forward at a at a decent pace. Um, when we come back, we're, we're going to talk to Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Now, there was a lot of uh, hand-wringing about a potential uh, fixation, uh, not a fixation, a fixing of, <laughs> of the... The NHL draft lottery yesterday with Kevin Weeks spilling beans that uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets were Mm -hmm. were picking third, despite the fact that the card had not been overturned. But yeah, the reality is, and it's not didn't just start this year. They every year the drawing is actually taking the physical ping pong balls are drawn about an hour before the broadcast. Frank was in that room, and uh, by the way, but before we we get to Frank though, Justin, I don't know if this means anything, but there is like a kind of a Leafs connection to the Blackhawks. Winning the NHL draft lottery. I don't know if you saw what I was tweeting here, but I and I, again, I can't make full sense of it. But I feel like that there's some leafy leafy connection because the Blackhawks win Game 81 against the Pittsburgh Penguins, five two in a shocking result. Right. Penguins need to win that game. They pick up two points against the Blackhawks. Well, the Blackhawks likely finish with the worst record in the National Hockey League. They get the number one seed, but if I mean. Things play out exactly the way they did, which I, I guess in a, a parallel universe, maybe they don't. Um, they don't win the draft lottery. Okay. But b- besides that, the Florida Panthers aren't in the playoffs right now. 
I don't know what it means. Maybe you can take the break to figure it out. But like, is there some sort of leafy curse like involved with the with Connor Bedard playing the next twenty years in Chicago, and he wouldn't have done that if the Blackhawks had lost that game against the Penguins, which means the Penguins are in the playoffs, which means the Panthers are out, which means maybe the Bruins are beating the pa- the the Penguins, or the Penguins are be- maybe the Leafs are playing the Penguins right now. <laughs> oh, this is the ultimate. How does this affect the Leafs? It really, really yeah, is. I, <laughs> I had to twist my brain to get there. All right, uh, when we come back, we'll talk to a, a man who saw the ping pong balls. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for DailyFaceOff.com. Ben Ennis, Justin Cuthbert. It is the Fan Drive Time Sportsnet 590, the Fan Sportsnet 360. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis and Justin Cuthbert. And listen, there's... No conspiracy. There's no fixing. There's no cover up. It's uh, everything's on the up and up when it comes to the NHL's draft lottery. Unless Frank Saravelli is also involved, he joins us now. <laughs> President of hockey content for DailyFaceOff.com. You were in the room, right? As, as far yeah. as as far as we know, yeah. I was sequestered. I had to give up my phone. I spent uh, I don't know ninety minutes kibitzing with Commissioner Bettman. It was interesting. Yeah, was that that? So every year they have some members of the media. Was this your first year doing that? So I actually asked. Um, oh. I I only live about an hour from the NHL Network studios in New Jersey, mm. and I said, you know what, historic year with Connor Bedard being available. I think I just picked a good a good one to to wade into this discussion with, with both Chicago winning and the the on air gaff. Um, that has sort of turned everyone's tinfoil hat to attention on social media. Uh, I I've I know other people that have gone in to do it and see it themselves, and I just wanted to see what it was like, and it was I was actually kind of blown away. Okay, so th- what what were you blown away by? The intensity. There is this moment, and it's only twenty seconds. But the feeling between the third ball that's drawn and the fourth, there's this amazing thing where, so you have a sheet in front of you. It's like 10 pages long or whatever. And it's got a thousand and one different combinations that are all randomly assigned to teams. And you kind of are scrambling between like looking to see who is in the mix on that final ball. And then you're also understanding at that exact moment in time. It's so it's, the room is dead quiet. And to set the scene for you, it's also really a small room hmm. for like having 25 people packed in there. And the only thing you can hear is like the hum of this machine and the ping pong balls bouncing. And sort of like how at least, our lotteries are way better here in the u.s but when there's like a billion dollars on the line in the lottery like that moment the gravity of it with this it's just the hockey version where you have this generational talent who's not just trying to figure out where he's going to spend the next 10 years or more of his life but also like the people who the teams that lose this lottery and how they may be out of a job more quickly now because they didn't get that player. Mm. Like there's so many things happening in that exact moment in time 
You can actually cut the air in that room with a knife. Mm -hmm. We need to put that on TV. Why isn't that on TV? Well, go to dailyfaceoff.com. That's exactly what I wrote about today. <laughs> that this is how cool it was being behind the scenes. Why don't you just take that machine and roll it down the hallway into the studio? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer it, it just, should It gets rid of all the tinfoil hat BS mm -hmm. and people complaining that it's rigged because you've now seen it in front of you, which, by the way, you can go watch the video on NHL.com of the commissioner doing all of this. You can actually see me in the video. I wave. <laughs> <laughs> he says, oh, please wave to the camera. And I do. Like, it's, it's, it's epic. Um, but it gets rid of that. And also, like, this idea that you need to flip the cards. It's, it's not even good TV. No, it's hard to get them upright, too, sometimes. It's a bit of an issue. <laughs> well, that's not the issue, but you run into stuff where... So here's the thing about the, this this gaffe that occurred on TV, which is not Kevin Weeks' fault. He's being handed a, a, a script in a, in a teleprompter and, and just told, read. Mm -hmm. um, someone in production messed up, and he reads that thing, you know, essentially killing the moment for the Columbus Blue Jackets going to commercial break, which was crazy. Um but the whole thing about everyone saying, oh, see, that's proof that it's rigged. Like, guys, the actual lottery itself, the ping pong balls were drawn 90 minutes before then. I was stuck and locked in a room and had to turn over my cell phone and could not communicate with the outside world. But it was, way, it was, it was done. They just go then and present that information in a different manner to everyone live. Which doesn't make any sense. So you were one of the first to know that Connor Bedard was likely going to the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, how palatable do you think Chicago is for the destination for the number one overall pick, at least presumptive number one pick? How palatable? What does that mean, Justin? Well, like, you don't, do you, you do don't you have a dog in the fight, but uh, you, right. pro you have an opinion based on where he lands. Uh, do you like Chicago then as a destination for Connor Bedard? Well, I do from a perspective of one, um, there's this sort of symbolic, if not like literal passing of the torch from the Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane era to Connor Bedard. Um, it's also a really like, let me just signal this for the tinfoil hat folks. It's, it's a really important market for the league and the sport. Mm. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the early 2000s, and I'm sure you are too, when the Chicago Blackhawks were a meaningless franchise in this league, which is crazy to think about. Uh, and that building in United Center being half full and cavernous. Um, so I think that's important. And I also just think um, the way that they've gone about their rebuild has been, I think... It sounds funny to say, but it's actually been like really transparent and tasteful and honest. Tasteful. Like, here's exactly what we're doing. We're ripping the Band-Aid off and getting rid of just about every single person that's been part of this franchise. Good, great, legend, bad, whatever it may be. They've got a blank slate and a blank canvas, and they've acquired all these picks. Mm -hmm. Like, they had three first-round picks last year. They have two this year, including number one, and two for each of the next two after this, mm -hmm. plus all those second-rounders. Like, they're building something, I think, in just my opinion, the right way. So, um, yeah, is it palatable? I, for sure. Mm, yeah, you know what? I I, I think it, it's... I don't know if you can say deserving. I, I, I'm okay with the destination. Well, there's a couple of different reasons. One is that, yeah, it's a meaningful hockey market, um, a meaningful hockey franchise. But, yeah, also, and I mentioned this going to break, 
that, okay, they were trying to lose every single hockey game that they played. They were unable to do so. Game 81, they actually won, which was like a significant victory. Of course, knocks the Penguins out of the playoffs. It was like a dev. It should have been a devastating blow to a Chicago Blackhawks team, despite the fact that the Leafs were the worst team in the National Hockey League when they won the draft lottery and the right to select Austin Matthews. I like when it's not the the abject worst team in in hockey that that wins this thing, despite the fact that it's most weighted more than any other sport, Frank. For the the worst team with a 25% chance of landing the first overall pick. I like the fact that the Blackhawks won, despite the fact that they seemingly blew their chances in game 81. Yeah, I mean, they, how many crushing wins did they have down the stretch? <laughs> so many. Think about that, the term of that. They beat the Flames in their building, which absolutely shattered their hopes. And then knocked off the Penguins, which not like they eliminated two teams from the playoffs in the final 10 days of the regular season. With a decimated roster. Like, that team, after the trade deadline, was scary bad. Yeah. And they still won. So that's kind of like, I feel like at the end of it, if if there is a such thing as hockey karma, which I'm not convinced that there is, because if there was, the Anaheim Ducks would have won last night after missing out on Sidney Crosby in 2005, uh, being the runner-up. That, you know, like, what a big turn of, like, so I was speaking of, like, the gravity of the situation like what a big turn of events! Like the difference between Sidney Crosby and Bobby Ryan, and if Bobby Ryan's mm. listening, like sorry, buddy, um, <laughs> he that, knows like, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Um, do they want to trade Connor Bedard for a uh, slightly used Mitch Marner? Like that, that trade is available. Mm, I bet it might be. Uh, so I, I would say, let me, let me. So I did this with Justin yesterday. Uh, let me say this. Everything is on the table, or it should be, to use Brendan Shanahan's words. Okay, so this is, yeah, I did want to trans, just take I figured the com- you might want to. You I, might want to yeah. get a segue in there. I yeah. wanted to transfer the conversation to the, to the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I wanted to do it in this way, that, like, the last two days, and yeah, you, you, did, you did some of this with Justin yesterday on the morning show, but it's felt like, um, yeah, a post-mortem on, a, on a, a body that isn't quite dead yet in, in the Toronto Maple Leafs. And there is a, a feeling amongst the fan base. And I had, I had uh, Sean McIndoo uh, on the show yesterday. Like, he's kind of like the face of, of, of Leafs fandom. Yeah, it's Steve Dangle. He's, he's one of them as well. But, like, everybody's ready to just, like, go scorched earth almost with this Leafs team after winning their first postseason series in 19 seasons and without even seeing the finished product against the Panthers and outplaying the Panthers in two out of the three games. Like, is there an overreaction from the fan base or is it, I mean, considering the way the last six postseasons have gone, like, is it, is it fair for everybody to be at their wits end with this team, despite the fact that they beat the three time reigning conference champions? Why wouldn't it be fair? This is a results based business. You don't like Bill Guerin was just talking about this with the Minnesota Wild a couple days ago when they lost. You you don't get the Stanley Cup for winning one round. Like mm-hmm. they're not even close. They're not even in the ballpark. And I think what's most alarming about the Leafs is that they just don't have the goods. I don't know if it's mentally, I don't know if it's intensity and fire. And I don't know who that's chalked up to and and how teams take on a a mind of their own or a mindset of their own, but something's missing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what it is, but when you have a game on Sunday and you get outworked by the Florida Panthers with your season on the line, 
you can skill teams to death and you can expect it goal me to death. I'm sorry, but that's unforgivable. No. It just is. And to think that you're going to go do this again, and if anything, I would say the Leafs fan base, Leafs Nation, and the marketplace has been way softer on this team than, than this organization would even give them credit for. The fact that they did next to nothing different last last summer and marched it all back again i there it was fair to criticize them then but they won around this year they got outplayed in five of the six games well they're outplaying the panthers in two of the three games how about that so what does that count for it's Nothing. the eighth seed no, no did I'm they though did you. they yeah no i'm i'm with you listen i i'm i'm making a yeah uh devil's advocate i, good I argument. enjoy the impassioned Though. Yeah, well, okay, so let's talk about something tangible here, that, that, that Joseph Wall is going to get the start in goal for tomorrow's game for a guy that's uh, he's, he's a bargain, honestly, and, and Kyle Dubas doing a great job getting him locked up uh, for under uh, a million bucks. Um, Ilya Samsonov had a great season, and he's had, you know, pretty good uh, postseason, and he was integral in, uh, in the Leafs getting through the Tampa Bay Lightning in six games. Matt Murray has been an abject disaster. Got it. He's the backup, and he's making more than both of them combined, and he's still under contract for next season. And despite the fact that he's healthy and has two Stanley Cup rings, uh, he will not be starting a must-win game for the Toronto Maple Leafs in Florida. Well, I mean, he's the backup. Is this an hour-by-hour designation? Like, what, like... I mean, if he, he's healthy enough to be the backup, right? Like, Eric Schalgren exists if, like, he wasn't healthy enough to play hockey... He wouldn't be sitting on the bench, would he? No, my point is, like, you, you might have to change the designation in an hour. Like, yeah. he might just get out of bed and be done. No, like, it's I, so true. I just, I, I don't, I, I'm not knocking him. I'm sure he works hard at his craft and what, he's unreliable. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, I mean, me personally, just to sleep a little more soundly at night, I, like, Eric Schalgren, how you doing? Would you like to get on a plane to Florida? <laughs> I, I mean, I, are we going to see Matt Murray again, by the way, next year? Like, doesn't it just feel like this is well, it? Well, this is it. This is kind of what I wanted to get to. I You've wonder... been jettisoned to Robita Island? Yeah, either that or, yeah, you got to staple another pick to him to, to send him out the door. Or perhaps, you know, may, maybe, yeah, he, he does, yeah. The Robita Island uh, Island thing there and, and the uh, LTIR thing, uh, yeah, could be a possibility as well. What do they do? So Samsonov is is a free agent. He's a restricted free agent. He has arbitration rights as well. And you do have this very cheap, controllable asset in Joseph Wall, who looks like he could be an NHL starting caliber goaltending. I mean, a goaltender, but we've we've seen limited sample of it. What what do you think happens? I guess let's just keep it to Samsonov because the Murray one's a little more uh, complicated. Samsonov, like what you're obviously not doing what the Capitals did, which was not even qualify him and and watch him walk out the door for nothing. Like what happens with Samsonov? I think he's the perfect guy that you play in tandem with Joe Wall and see what you can get. I mean, if he gives you anywhere close to the season he had this year at 919, even playing 40 games, that's fantastic. Um, obviously he's going to be a bit more expensive based on those numbers and, and the wins and all the other things that go into an arbitration case. Um, but he's, he's not going to break the bank. And I think when you couple him with, Joe Wall, like that to me just makes so much sense. 
you know, have someone that you can turn to and ride if you need in, in Sam Sodoff, if Wall just for whatever reason isn't up to the task. I suspect that he is. Uh, my colleague Mike McKenna has been saying for weeks that the Leafs need Joe Wall to win. He's convinced of that. He doesn't think Sam Sonoff has the goods. Um, I'm not a goalie expert, but when you have cap considerations like they do, guys, like I, you have to find ways to create value, and that's one of them in net. Don't spend an arm and a leg in, in the crease when you can get relatively the same goaltending numbers-wise as you would from – you know, a way more expensive starter. So Frank, we did uh, story time at the NHL draft lottery. Can we do 2010 story time? Uh, you covered the flyers back then. That was the yep. second last Oh three deficit that we saw erased, uh, covered it, wrote on it. Uh, can you give us some insight? Like, were there any indications that it was possible? There was, was there real belief at the time? Were there important prerequisites? I mean, that Mike Richards and Chris Pronger on that team, and those are pretty important guys. Like, what, what can you, like, glean and carry over to now? Is there anything? Uh, what did you learn from covering that group and what it actually meant to overcome a 3 nothing deficit? Yeah, so that was my first full-time year on a beat traveling to every game, and that was, like, I don't think I'll ever see a series like that ever again. I don't know that anyone will. It, it's not just down three nothing in the series, but also down three nothing in Game Seven, which was bananas. Mm. Um, I, I don't think there's a common thread though, and the reason for that is this: we just referenced this idea that the Leafs outplayed the Panthers in two of the three games. It's the third one that sticks out to me, yeah. and how the Leafs didn't have any pushback, didn't have any fight. And that wasn't the case. I can honestly tell you, coming back, there was some overtime losses. I don't have this, the series schedule in front of me, and my memory isn't that good. But I can tell you that I remember the overarching feeling being the Flyers looked a lot better in this series than the scoreboard would indicate in the series against the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Like, down 3 nothing, like, every game was super tight and close, and the Flyers were right there. And so does that mean, you know, you're going to reel off four straight wins? Uh, Unlikely, but it just, there was never a game like game three for the Leafs where they just spit the bit that, that didn't happen in any of those first three. And so that to me, like, it's always been mindset for this Leafs team. I I said it with you guys last week, the emotional come down of, you know, winning one round it felt like there was so much more juice in that one round win than there should have been. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like this team and this city deemed it to be a successful season when it, in the grand scheme, it meant nothing. And now this opportunity of all opportunities unfolds with the eighth seed knocking off the best regular season team in history. And you can't, your guys can't show up. Yeah. Yeah, no, it it it, it could have meant something if yeah they they shown up at all in this series, which they have yet to uh, to do. Maybe it changes tomorrow. Frank, thanks as always. Talk next week, man. Have a good one, guys. Uh, Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for DailyFaceOff.com. Um, yeah, we're gonna talk to Justin Williams on the other side of the break. Uh, who knows a thing or two also about coming back from a three zero series deficit? Uh, he did it on route to a Stanley Cup victory in twenty fourteen. Uh, in the first round against the 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 Sharks, um, I, I I get what Frank's saying that like, hey, 
the 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 Flyers looked like the better team, at least the equal team to the Bruins in the first three games, and you could see it coming. I mean, I would have said that about the first two games of the series, honestly. Yesterday was the dud, and I'm going back in the game log of of that Kings team in the first three games against the Sharks. They got annihilated in the first two games, and then the third game was overtime to go down three games to nine. So I don't even know if that's necessarily a parallel you can draw. Like, the parallel, I mean, yeah, if you put on your most rose-colored glasses, you can say that, hey, this is how you have to get over the hump of of being one of the most cursed franchises in all of pro sports because the 04 Red Sox did it. But, I mean, there are, there is evidence there that they can obviously hang with a team that I think on paper they're better than. I think the common theme might be San Jose and the yeah. Leafs because the San Jose Sharks were the broken team back then, were they not? Uh, they yeah, were dealing I mean, with their own personal demons. And I think sure. this is something we should try to ask Justin Williams because – you can take advantage of that opponent, right? The one that is dealing with their own psychoanalysis. They're the mm-hmm. ones that are dealing with their own emotional issues or, uh, you know, mindset issues. I think that's the common theme. Like, you need those guys. You need mm-hmm. the people that believe. And I think one of the things with this Leaf team is, like, are you convinced that they believe that they can come back? Are you convinced that they can put all this stuff aside and just try to win game four? Like, I think that's something that the, the fan base is definitely grappling with. Yeah, the the internal belief, and it's something that Justin Bourne wrote about on Sportsnet.ca as well. Like, yeah, the, these guys who have seen so many postseason heartbreak moments over the last better part of a decade, um, yeah, are they all of a sudden going to believe that they're capable? Although, I mean, if you want to go to recent history, they were down three goals in a third period to a Lightning team that had won, you know, a couple Stanley Cups over the last three years, and they were able to come back and, and take a series lead and eventually win that series in, in six games. Anyways... We will talk to uh, Mr. Game 7 next. Justin Williams, three-time Stanley Cup champion. We'll also talk to Shai Davidi as we get you set for Blue Jays baseball from Philadelphia. It's the Fan Drive Time. Ben Ennis, Justin Cuthbert. We are on Sportsnet 590. The Fan and Sportsnet 360. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, the fans, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis and Justin Cuthbert. And Justin, they say a journey of a thousand miles starts with one single step. <laughs> Toronto Maple Leafs trying to take that first step tomorrow in uh, game four against the Florida Panthers. They are down three games to none. It's happened before. It's happened more in in the National Hockey League than any other sport teams coming back from 3-0 series deficits happened four times. And in fact, the last time it happened, our next guest was on the ice to see it. Justin Williams, three-time Stanley Cup champion, Conn Smythe winner for the Kings back in 2014 when they did become the fourth team to come back from a 3-0 series deficit, beating the Sharks in the first round en route to winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, he joins us now. How's it going, Justin? Um, it's going quite well. How are you doing, gentlemen? Uh, I'm good. Uh, th- that intro must feel good to you. <laughs> I, and I didn't even mention Mr. Game 7, of course. Um, but <laughs> how do the Leafs pull this off, man? Like, what, 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 what was said? What, 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 what do we need to see to, to believe that the Maple Leafs can become the fifth team to ever pull off this 3-0 series comeback? Well, I mean, it, it, to be honest, it's really nothing that, that the public sees. It's, it's what's going on in that dressing room right now. And I've done a couple of interviews over the last couple of days because 
you know, obviously people kind of want to hear a little bit from, from, from someone who's kind of been in that situation, but it really doesn't matter what we think on the outside. It, it's what's going on in that dressing room is what's important. And, and I think there's an opportunity here, um, you know, for Toronto. I think human nature on one side of it has Florida um, perhaps getting a little comfortable. And, and what Toronto does, they just have to bite back. Um, that's what they have to do. But that won't happen if not everybody's involved and not everybody actually believes that they can come back from 3-0 um, because it won't happen. It's funny because uh, these guys are doing all this media. There's you know three days between games, two full off days, and you're answering these questions when in reality, you know, you have to hide some truths. But I think they know the truth, right? You just mentioned it. Like, it's what's going on in the room. And I wonder if you knew, like, pregame, before a bout of adversity, when you're down, when you're just looking around, like, do you know either whether or not you have a chance or you have zero chance? And if you know in that moment, hey, we can do this because I'm looking around the room and these guys are capable of it, like, what are the indicators that a team has the mental capacity and the general makeup to overcome serious bouts of adversity? Well, I mean, obviously experience is one of them. Um, I think if if Toronto looks on the other side of the ice, um, there's not a lot of guys with uh, a Stanley Cup on that other side. So they're learning themselves how to deal with everything that the playoffs bring as well. So, um, you know, every situation is different, um, but they have to certainly look at this as an opportunity um, because that's all you can look at it as. I mean, chances are, no, we know. We've seen the stats. We know the numbers. It's not likely, but... They need to believe that it is possible. Um, so, I mean, if I was out there, you know, I'd be doing everything to, to bring guys in. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be going by that that Florida bench and letting them know this series isn't over. I'd, I'd, I'd be doing everything in my power um, to send a little bit of element of doubt uh, in their minds. Mm-hmm. And and you know, hopefully, uh, for Toronto's sake, they can do that tomorrow and start off. Well, I wonder for you and and that 2014 Kings team, Justin, whether you guys talked or were like you know thinking about the 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 series just four years prior uh, involving the the Flyers and the Bruins and one that we just talked about before the break uh, that 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 was the third comeback from three zero down. Were you guys thinking about that? And then the year after that, there were two game sevens forced after teams going down. 3-0, like, were you guys talking or aware of that history, that recent history when you guys were down 3-0 in 2014? Uh, no, you don't You don't really think about that. Um, <laughs> you just go out and you do. Um, and I think the best the best way to explain it is was, was, was Daryl Sutter came in, came in after game three and he said, boys, I don't know if we're going to come back and win this series, but we are not going away quietly. And if we do go out, you know, we're going to go kicking and screaming and making these guys earn it. Um, and not just handing it over to them. Uh, I think that's that's one thing that, that certainly needs to be reiterated in that dressing room before they start and before Toronto goes out there, that we might not win, but we are not sitting off in the sunset here. We are going to get it, and if they want it, that fourth team is always the toughest. They're going to have to take it from us. Um, and, you know, as far as, 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 as production, um, you got to go into every series thinking it's going to be seven games. Now, it might not be... Um, you know, your big boys one night, but you know that one night it might be your turn. It might be Marner's turn tonight. It might, or tomorrow, excuse me. It might be Matthews the next night. It might be someone else the next night. It might be someone else the next night. But, you know, when your number needs to be called, uh, you got to be ready and you got to be ready to step on. 
so we've put you in the Maple Leaf skates, but if you were in the Panthers skates, uh, what's the strategy? I mean, you said you'd be like, you know, you'd be letting them know that it's not over. But if you're a Florida Panther right now, are you poking at insecurities? Are you trying to use your opponent's consistent and enduring failures against them? Like, should should Florida dive into that? Maybe they already have. I'm mean, sure they have, actually. Uh, but should that would that be your tact if you were a, a member of the Florida Panthers right now where you're feeling so comfortable and so good about what's going on that you could kind of uh, allow this to build even further in the minds of the Maple Leafs at the moment? Well, sure. I mean, once you have a team down, and they certainly have them down on the ground right now, you, you want to step on their neck. You don't want to let them up um, because of the talent, certainly, that's, that's on the other side. I mean, you're in the NHL, and it's specifically – the Maple Leafs with the amount of talent that they can, that, that they have and that they can throw out every single shift, uh, you don't want to let them get up, get up off the ground. So if you're, you're obviously Florida, you're thinking uh, foot on the throat. Um, but I think subconsciously that's a little bit harder to do sometimes. Um, it's easy to say. Uh, it's a little bit harder to do. Um, you know, desperation and belief are really strong qualities. Uh, and if you exhibit both of those, I think uh, quite a few things that you think are impossible might be possible. When did the the pressure shift back over to the Sharks? Because you guys, you win game four going away 6-3. Game five was a shutout 3-0. Actually, you know what? You won by multiple goals uh, each and every game after game three that you lost in overtime to go down 3 0-3-0, 3-0, 4-1, 5-1 in game seven. At what point do you remember the the, the pressure actually landing squarely in the lap of the Sharks? Well, I think we felt it after game five. Um, we had, you know, one a close game in game four. I know you said there were a couple goal games, but I remember them vividly. They were very in question going into the third period. Uh, so I think when we were, I can actually fathom the actual time uh, that we did it. We were coming off the ice after a big um Game five win, and we were going back home to Los Angeles, and we were walking towards our dressing room, and you could just hear the boys. Just, I remember Drew Dowdy vividly saying, they feel it. I feel like they feel it, boys, and we're coming all the way back. And that's where it starts to turn. Right? A playoff game, you got to go in expecting, expecting seven games. You have mm-hmm. to do it. And I think Florida's mentality is we have to expect it. Um, but that was, to answer your question, I think that was the time after game five that we were heading back home to Los Angeles down 3-2 that you know what they got a little bit of pressure on them as well because I think if you look at them they hadn't won anything either yeah so they're still learning how to win as well so um, it's not a team over there uh, I'll use Tampa Bay for example that you know has done it recently and 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 you know has that um, that intangible about it that we've been there um, I think Toronto probably needs to use that yeah and, and that 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 saying, hey, do you got to expect everything to go seven games? That that held true for that team because you guys played a couple more seven game series after that, including going up. What were you up three one against the Blackhawks before being forced into a game seven? Like, how did the experience of coming back, uh, being the fourth team in NHL history uh, to come back from a three zero series deficit? How did that play for you guys for the rest of that Stanley Cup run? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, <laughs> you you just you you play the game. Uh, you don't know if you're going to win or lose. You really don't. Um, you go into it and you put your best foot forward. You work. Uh, um, you work your tail off. You you demand that the rest of the team does the same as well. And um, you know it's it's just it's just um, I guess a, a thought and a, and a and a you know I keep using the word belief, but 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 it truly is. 
Um, and that's a really, really strong thing to have. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if the Leafs have it, uh, but if they do, um, they have possibilities. We're chatting with Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams. Uh, Justin, in your experience in the NHL, are there guys whose skills, even if they're immense skills, just do not translate to the postseason? Uh, well, I think, I think probably yes. Um, you know, there's certain games and, and certain teams. I mean, you're playing 82 games during the regular season. Um, and, you know, just to be blatantly honest, you don't have your A game every single time. It might be a, uh, a Tuesday night and, uh, you know, a place that doesn't have many fans and, and you're playing three and four and you just, you just don't quite have it that night, but the other team does. Um, so you get some breaks, you get some turnovers, you get some lackluster defense and, you know, you can kind of get your game going, but in the playoffs, I mean, everybody's ready. Everybody's dialed in and everybody's ready to give that little extra more that they need. Um, so there's a little bit less room out there. Um, but, you know, in saying that, um, you know, say you're a skill guy who, who needs the puck on a stick, you need to focus on winning your one-on-one battles because the more chances that you have with the puck, the more chances that you're going to make a great play with it. So um, you, you can't just float around and expect the puck magically just to happen and, and then fall on your stick. You have to make sure that you're, you're winning more battles than you're losing, and that means you're going to have the puck on your stick. Just that one more opportunity, that potentially you can make a difference. Mm. Yeah, well, Maple Leafs need to to play a little differently than they did uh, on Sunday if they're uh, if they're going to uh, come up with uh, those type of chances tomorrow. Justin, uh, appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Fellas, pleasure. Thank you. There's Justin Williams, Mister Game Seven. And all he has is uh, seven goals, fifteen points in his eight Game Sevens. That's all. Uh, he, he lost one Game Seven. He was seven and one in Game Sevens. Pretty good. Pretty uh, good. Yeah, came back from a three zero series deficit in 2014. I think. I think one of the most interesting things that Justin Williams just said is that, hey, just like the Sharks didn't exactly have this, like, winning history on the other side of the ice, they didn't have something to, you know, hold on to, something in their back pocket, some sort of memory to say, hey, we've been here before, we're better than this, we're going to push through this, we're going to win this series despite the fact that we can see it slipping away. I mean, the Panthers don't have that in their back pocket either, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is a team that, hey, won around last year and then got swept in the second round. I know Matthew Kachuk was not part of that, and he's, like, the face of this franchise right now. But, yeah, he's a young player. He doesn't have that postseason experience that, hey, if you do put the – you plant the seed of doubt, you win on Wednesday, come back home, win on Friday. I, I like the idea that that might not – be a thought that the Panthers are having. Like, I think that's a very realistic possibility. Yeah, can you make them think, right? And I'm interested in, like, the stages of a comeback, and I hope we can diagnose this as we go here. Like, if they can get a couple victories, we can actually start, you know, talking about this. Because really, Game 4 is just, like, ab- about avoiding embarrassment, I think. Yeah, like, is it anything be really beyond that? It seems like it's it's just that. But if you get to a Game 5, the, the carrot in front of you is, hey, can we transfer the pressure? And Justin yeah. Williams just said it. Like, yeah. they felt good after Game 5. So can you save yourself from the embarrassment of the sweep. And then what is the game five incentive? Is it can we transfer the pressure? And then maybe in game six, you're getting the Matthew Kachucks of the world actually thinking about it. Oh, for sure. But would they think about it before game six? Would they think about it before maybe an overtime game five? I'm not really sure. And it does help that they get to go home after game five if we get there. But yeah, the stages of the comeback is interesting because right now it's all exclusively on the Maple Leafs. And until it, 
you know, gets to the, like the depths of a competitive game five, I don't think it would transfer. No, you're right. And yeah, again, you got to look a little closer to uh, the hockey team that we saw in the first two games, despite the fact that those were both losses. Yeah, maybe cut out like the first five minutes of the second period of game two, like the rest of game two, except for the first five minutes of the second period. You could just replicate that tomorrow uh, would be a, a pretty good recipe for success. All right. Blue Jays starting a two game series in Philadelphia tonight, uh, 630 on Sportsnet 1 and Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Ben Schulman with the call on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Shai Davidi is in uh, Citizens Bank Ballpark, and uh, he joins us now. How's it going, Shai? All right. What's going on, fellas? Uh, just getting ready to uh, to watch a, a baseball game between, I was going to say, two good teams. I mean, I, I think eventually there'll be two good teams. The Phillies not exactly playing like a good team, although the record at this point in the season, not that dissimilar to, to where they were a season ago. And we know how that worked out uh, and, and the playoff success that they had. Uh, they're facing the opening day starter for the Blue Jays and Alec Manoa, uh, who has been inconsistent, as has the majority of this rotation, the majority of the time. Like, where are we on his ability to be back to the guy that wasn't like lights out every time he towed the slab last year, but was keeping his baseball team in the ball game? each and every time he was on the mound last year? Well, it's really interesting. If you look at the last couple of weeks, and you know that Boston series is a total aberration, and it was certainly a weird one for Alec Manoa. You know, through three and a third innings, like he's cruising, and at that point you think, okay, this is going to be a third straight great outing for him. He had a good, out, good one against the Yankees, a good one against the Mariners. He's picking up a bit of momentum. He takes a 112.5-mile-per-hour rocket from Raphael Devers off the inside of his left knee, and all of a sudden that outing just completely unravels for him. And in chatting with him, it was pretty intriguing to hear him talk about the adrenaline spike that he experienced and how that pulled him out of his flow that he was in. He was really good with his mechanics, really good with his game plan, and then all of a sudden he's got this adrenaline surging and you know the fight or flight takes over a little bit and he's just not himself from, from that point forward. So I think if you're the Blue Jays, if you're Alec Mamilla, you're, you're saying, okay, let's look at the first half of that outing, the momentum from the previous two, and build off that. And all of a sudden it looks like, okay, now there's some real momentum here towards getting back to where he was last season. So we, we've seen a couple of things materialize here over the course of the, you know, the Blue Jays season here. And I think one of the important ones is in, in moments and in pockets, the bottom of the order, which has been sort of flipped, ha- has really stepped up and supported the, the top of the order, which has done its job to start the season. But Dalton Varsho is an interesting case because he's on a bit of an upswing after a, a, a pretty difficult stretch there. And I feel like he kind of holds the key to this lineup uh, meeting its potential. Like, how vital is the production uh, for Dalton Varsho, given, you know, what side of the plate he's he's uh, hitting, but also, uh, you know, brought in here to be a middle-of-the-order guy to sort of connect and be a difference maker in terms of production? Yeah, I'd say not just him, but Brandon Belt, too. And to some degree, Dalton Varsho, even if he's not hitting and he's in a better dry spot, he's doing other things for you, right? He can still run the bases pretty effectively. He can still work a a good at bat. He can still create in some other ways. So he doesn't have to be hitting home runs and doing damage in order to, to be a contributor. But with Brandon Belt, the Blue Jays are counting on him to provide some impact, right? It's in between him and Varsho. The two of them were supposed to, replace and perhaps succeed some of the thump they lost when they traded away to Oscar Hernandez and having both those guys going, 
that that's pretty pivotal. And to me, I think you saw it over the weekend in Pittsburgh, just how different the lineup looks when it's not just Varsho, because Varsho's had some nice stretches even before that. But when Belt's there too delivering, that completely changes the way this lineup looks. And against starters who have a tough time against uh, left-handed hitters, Aaron Nola tonight, for instance, that that's where he's got to be the X factor. So, you know, Dalton Varsho, I think he, his contributions have been important. He's been a good player for the team. I know he had that long drought, but he's been, he's been an important contributor in a number of other ways, but getting something from Brandon belt has been uh, really, really was really important over the weekend and can be a, a major, major difference maker from this point forward. Yeah, he was he was looking uh, pretty cooked the first two weeks of the season, but he has he's turned it around. Uh, might not be done at 35, coming off a knee uh, surgery. So Vlad is back in the lineup, shy after that wrist thing, which I guess was also like a forearm thing. Like, what, what is your understanding of of how significant that was, and and how closely the Blue Jays are going to monitor this thing going forward? Is he at a hundred percent now? Well, I mean, it's. In terms of seriousness, they didn't send him for an MRI or any mm. imaging like that. So it was just essentially some soreness, which he's dealt with in the past. And uh, the, the the difference is this is, the, I believe, the first time he's missed back-to-back games in his career. Mm-hmm. So that that's, that's nuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been incredibly durable. So it was obviously something there. It might have been different if it wasn't for the off day. You know, because there's an off day there, too, there's an opportunity to uh, take advantage of it and get him a bit of an extended rest there to try and eliminate the issue. But what he told me about it is that it was similar to what he's felt in the past, but it extended a little bit further into the forearm this time as opposed to being isolated in the wrist. And that's why he decided to just take a little bit of an extra break with this one. So, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, he has been super, super durable. Uh, he And he, he wants to play every day, uh, and he's succeeded in, 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 that, uh, in that desire. Uh, the Blue Jays, like, by and large, have succeeded in being healthy this season, Shy. They, they've lost the fewest man games due to injury in Major League Baseball, and that includes Hunjin Ryu being on the IL uh, all season long. George Springer not in the lineup today. I guess that's just part of the management, despite the fact that they had an off day yesterday, despite the fact that there's an off day Thursday. Is this like, I asked Dan Schulman this yesterday, and I'm interested in your opinion. Like, what to what do you account that ability to stay healthy? Is that just random dumb luck? Um, is it acquiring guys that are generally healthy, or is it good management of, of guys that have injury histories? Well, with Springer today, it's more that that viral infection that kept him out of the lineup last week in Boston is just still hanging around. He was grinding through it in Pittsburgh over the weekend, and he just wasn't, uh, in John Schneider's words, feeling great today. And so they didn't want to throw him out there when he wasn't at his best. So he's available if needed, but I don't think I think the Blue Jays would like to try to not have him play. And, if that he can continue to recover from that uh, that bug that he's been fighting. As for the the bigger picture in terms of health, I think it's a, a lot of different things, right? It's having some players who are quite durable, right? I, I don't, I, I'm not sure that we sort of maybe highlighted enough how durable uh, Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. have been uh, over their time with the Blue Jays and and available to them. But there's also been the 
you know, I think it's a combination of things. There's all the Blue Jays have put a lot of money and resources into their their performance and medical training, and so they're monitoring uh, the where guys are at physically pretty closely on a daily basis and uh, trying to adjust if needed. And sometimes when you see those, those rest days, they're, they're very strategic and there's some data driving those decisions. So it's not all random, but uh, you know, I think the blue Jays are also having a bit of fingers crossed about, you know, some the, the run of health that they've had, you never want to take that for granted. And you know that that could change pretty quickly. So uh, it has been an important element of the Blue Jays season thus far. And look, they're in a situation where, particularly on the pitching side, that you don't want to have to test that depth too much. And so the healthier that rotation in particular can stay, the better a chance they're going to have at longer-term success. That's why Ricky Tiedemann should have broken camp with this team to, to keep him healthy because everybody on, on the 26-man rosters has stayed healthy by and large. And here he is sidelined now with biceps uh, inflammation. It's a week-to-week thing. we got about a minute here, Shy. I mean, how, what, what does that do for – I mean, the performance was starting to dip as well, a double A for him as well. What does that do as, as far as the, the, the possibility of him reaching the major leagues as, as soon as this season? Well, I, I would say that it depends on what week-to-week looks like. Is it, is it well, looks like week-to-week. A, a month or are we talking – is it a couple months? And then what does he look like afterwards? Uh, look, there's going to be a lot of caution with Ricky Tiedemann because of how important he is to the Blue Jays' future and the the ability that he has and the the, the power that he has when he throws. It, it's a bit of an unusual injury to have a, a biceps uh, issue as a pitcher. So this is the, the, that's why the Blue Jays spent a lot of time and got a lot of different opinions on that MRI just to make sure that they weren't missing anything or not overlooking anything so I, I i think what it means longer term in terms of his availability this season it, that's to be determined it's too early to say the, it all starts with what what he looks like when he gets back on the field and he can start assessing things from that point forward all right thanks shy enjoy a baseball game yeah you too guys take care see ya shy davidi uh sports own in Philadelphia, getting set for a mini two-game set between the blue jays and philadelphia phillies it is time now for last call Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Stanley Cup playoffs resume with a couple of games on the ice. Uh, Devils uh, trying to level the series with the Hurricanes, and they are favored at home. Minus 155. Uh, the Kraken trying to take a stranglehold lead on uh, the uh, Dallas Stars. They're underdogs at home, naturally. Uh, Jake Ottinger and the, the Stars. Minus 148. A couple of games in the NBA playoffs. The uh, Suns. Um, are on the road in Denver um, looking to take a series lead there. That series all tied up at twos, minus six and a half. Uh, the Celtics and Sixers, minus seven and a half point favorites, are the Celtics and the Blue Jays and Phillies, a game that you can hear on Sportsnet 5.9, the fan you can see on Sportsnet 1. As the Blue Jays is a rare underdog, especially against a team that is under 500 in the Phillies, Phillies uh, with Aaron Nola on the hill, the righty who has struggled with lefties this season. Minus 136 and uh, the Blue Jays with Alec Manoa, plus 120. That was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Justin, this was a lot of fun. This was great. Yeah. I, I, I would like to not do another postmortem. I would like to save the actual postmortem of the Maple Leaf season until, I don't know, 
After Wednesday, though, for sure. That would be nice to see at least an extension of the conversation about them in the postseason. Yeah, that post-Game 5 feel, if that could be discussed (laughs) on our station, I I feel like that'd be a really good thing. I'm with you 100%. All right, everybody, enjoy the baseball game. Ben Shulman with the call on Sportsnet 590, the the fan, and uh, you can watch it on Sportsnet 1. This has been the Fan Drive Time. See you later. Bye-bye.